Good morning. The text, um, the scripture reading this morning, the text for this morning's message is Isaiah 63, starting at verse 15, going through all of Isaiah 64. I not only invite you, but I encourage you to follow along. Um, if you um, do not have a Bible, you should be able to find a Bible in a chair a rack near you, and you will find Isaiah 63, starting verse 15, on page 623. Other than that, you probably have a phone or a tablet where you could find it as well. So we're going to start... <clears throat> Start verse 15 of, cha of uh, chapter 63 of Isaiah and go through to the end of 64. Reading from God's holy word. Look down from heaven and see, from your holy and beautiful habitation, where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our father, Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts we have <clears throat> so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who were not called by your name. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood or when the fire causes water to boil. Make your name known to your adversaries that the nations might tremble at your presence. And when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down from the mountains, quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you are angry, and we sinned. In our sin, we have been a long time. Shall we be saved? We have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There was no one who calls on your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and you have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. For we are all, <clears throat> for we are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not our iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? 
Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? Here ends the reading of God's holy word. May it accomplish all he requires. Thank you, Tim. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Isaiah 63. I want to set the stage just a bit to help us understand the context of Isaiah's prayer here in chapter 63 and 64. So remember that Isaiah is writing to the tribe of Judah who was taken into exile in Babylon for 70 years because of their stubborn, unrepentant sin. And after 70 years, God was faithful to bring them back to Jerusalem, which really is a Beautiful story of God's mercy and grace all by itself. God, God even used the Persian king Cyrus to bring his people back to Jerusalem. But once they returned to Jerusalem, the, the condition of the city and the condition of the temple were extremely difficult for them to see. Uh, the, the city and the temple that they loved were in shambles and they, they laid there in ruins and here in our sermon text today, Isaiah is speaking to the people and praying to God in that context. In the first part of chapter 63, we learned that the Lord promised a day of vengeance would come. God's justice would be served. That was meant, to, it was given for the purpose of emboldening the the faith of God's people, making it strong and to give the wicked an opportunity to repent. But, but still, re responding well to the pre present day trials was not easy for God's people. In the second half of chapter 63, Isaiah wrote to God's people, exhorting them to remember the steadfast of the Lord, love of the Lord, to remember to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Instead, you keep in step with the Spirit and to remember that God is most passionate about his own glory. And we learn that because of that, God would save and keep his redeemed people for the sake of his name. We, we learned last week that if God is most passionate about his glory, we too should be most passionate for his glory. Now, th these are wonderful truths, um, the, the steadfast love of the Lord, the gift of the Holy Spirit with us, and certainly the breathtaking beauty of God that is more glorious than anything in the universe. These are wonderful truths. They are it's sound theology. It's vital for the life of God's children. But there are times when what you experience in life doesn't seem to fit what you believe to be true about the character of God. You, you may walk through circumstances that feel like uh, it just doesn't seem to fit what you believe about the steadfast love of God, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit that gives comfort may seem far off and distant. What you are experiencing may seem to be out of step with the beautiful character of God in all of his, all of his glory. Those are some of the experiences that we have sometimes. Maybe this morning you, you can relate to that. Have you 
ever had any of those kinds of experiences. Let let me ask you this. Has life turned out different for you than you thought it would? Have you experienced anything that's unexpected or unwelcomed in your life? Do, Do you ever wrestle with what God is up to in your life? Do you know that God is good, but can't see how what you are or have experienced in life could be used for good by God? If you can relate to this struggle, you can understand how the Israelites felt when they were exiled in Babylon and and then returned to Jerusalem and found the city and the temple in shambles. Sometimes confusion swirls in our hearts. Uh, doubts can arise. Discouragement can, can set in. Problems can persist. So what do you do? How do you respond? That is what today's sermon is all about. It, it's in that context Isaiah models and through that his example teaches you and I, to pray. You you talk with God. You pour out your heart to God. In Isaiah chapter 63, verse 15 through 64, 12, we learn learn how to pray when problems persist. And the first thing that we learn is this. Prayer, in the context of persistent problems, includes holy lament. Lament. A lament is an honest expression of grief and sorrow. It's, it's real. It's, it's raw. But because you fear God, you talk with God honestly about what you're feeling and thinking. But, but the problem is, as Christina Fox says, writing for Ligonier Ministries, and I quote, we tend to hide our emotions, distract ourselves from feeling them, or even pretend they don't exist. When difficult circumstances cut into our lives, we are likely to seek out false saviors to rescue us. We bury ourselves in work, entertainment, or a pint of ice cream. We might even take things into our own hands and attempt to control our circumstances. We'll do anything but face the pain and the heartache we feel. Uh, Earlier, I read from Psalm 13 as we began our service. Verse 1, in that psalm, the psalmist asks us, How long, O Lord? Will will you forget us forever? How, How long will you hide your face from me? That's Psalm 13. Psalm 10, the psalmist asks, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble. In Psalm 22, the psalmist cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. There there are about 42 lament psalms. Think about that. That's almost one-third 
of all of the Psalms are laments. And I think, if you think about that, I think God wants you to learn how to be honest in expressing your grief and your sorrow to Him. You know that God is good, but what you are experiencing at the moment is making you ask hard questions. And so be honest about that with God. It, it is, a lament is an expression of faith when you take those hard questions to God because you know that He has answers. It's a holy thing to do, to take hard questions to God. The, the pattern you often see in these holy laments is being honest about your hard questions and it includes making even some bold requests, but it will often include humble confession of sin. And ultimately, the one lamenting ends up expressing their total trust in the Lord. That, that's what we see in Isaiah's prayer here. Verse 15 of chapter 63 begins by saying, Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. So, I, I don't know. You, you wonder kind of if, if Isaiah says that with just a little bit of bite in his words. <laughs> look, look down from your beautiful abode at the wasteland that we're living in. What? Isaiah asks, where, where are your zeal and your might? Now, Just, just earlier in Isaiah, uh, we, we remember how God's, God's great power delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. The, the Lord was moved to do that because he was passionate for his own name. But when, when Isaiah looks at Jerusalem, what he sees there leads him to ask, where are your zeal and your might? He goes on, he says, the stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. In, in other words, what, why are you not responding with compassion to my needs? And, and then Isaiah, Isaiah explains why he feels this way. He says in verse 16, for you are our father. In other words, you brought, you, you brought us as a people into being. You chose us. But that's why I now wonder why you're not responding with compassion to our needs. He says, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. I think Isaiah is stating here, I think my... My hope isn't in Abraham or being an Israelite. My hope is in you, O Father. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer from of old is your name. So, though honest about his sorrow and grief, Isaiah articulates that he, he's not looking anywhere else for help except to the Lord. And, and he states, he, he reminds the Lord of what he has done in the past to elect them and save them. But with that being true, when Isaiah looks at the present state of Jerusalem, he cries out in verse 17, O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage, 
Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. (laughs) So here is what really pains Isaiah. The, The place where God dwelled with his people is trampled down by their enemies. And Isaiah laments. It, it's like we are a people that don't belong to you. So in this lament, Isaiah articulates that we believe you chose us and redeem us, redeemed us and made us your very own. But to, to be honest with you, Lord, it, it just doesn't feel that way now. The circumstances in our life seem to tell a different story. So let me, let me ask you this morning, are you in the habit of being honest with God about your hard questions? Do you take your hard questions to your Redeemer I think Isaiah teaches us here to go to God with your persistent problems. There there is no one better suited to help. God can handle your hard questions about your persistent problems. Secondly, prayer in the context of persistent problems includes bold petitions. Starting with chapter 64, verse 1, we hear what Isaiah boldly asks of the Lord, verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. I remember when we moved into our house, I built, we ripped out a bunch of stuff out of the house and I had a pile to burn and that pile got big. And I finally lit it. I heard there was a fire somewhere in our neighborhood this past weekend, somewhere, a big fire somewhere. I don't know where that was. But anyway, this fire that I lit, I I thought, man, I hope this thing doesn't get away. And when that thing took off, it's like, there was like fear and trepidation in my soul because I didn't know where this thing was going. And I I had my water hose, and it was kind of like a pea shooter trying to kill an elephant. Um, Thankfully, the God was merciful to me, but that, that raging fire caused my soul to tremble. That's the kind of image that you, you have here. Isaiah says, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things, verse 3, that we did not look for, you came down the mountains, quaked at your presence, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. So this is the cry of Isaiah's heart. Oh, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down to visit us. Could it be that Isaiah's bold request was really answered when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and then went to Calvary and died 
on that tree? I, I think Isaiah is remembering the powerful work God did when he redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt. That was a great redemptive act of God. God visited them and revealed his power and glory, drying up the Red Sea, and then again on Mount Sinai. There, the mountain shook at his presence. God met the need of the Israelites for his glory, and now Judah has returned to Jerusalem from their captivity in Babylon, but their need is still very great. Isaiah acknowledges that they are a in a desperate need for God to again work in a powerful way to meet their greatest need. Only God can meet the need that they have. Isaiah knows and believes that there's no God like our God who acts for those who wait for Him. God delights in meeting the needs of the one who has a heart for righteousness and who lives completely devoted for, to Him. That. That certainly, I think, is a picture of Jesus the Christ. But, but here, Isaiah, Isaiah says, come, please come. To tear open the heaven and come down to this earth to make known your name among your adversaries and that all of the world would tremble at your presence. Now, Isaiah could have asked God to help them rebuild the temple. Uh, he could have asked God to help them rebuild the walls around Jerusalem or to rebuild their homes to help establish their farms and their, their gardens to multiply their herds and their flocks. All of those things were needed and important. But when Isaiah looked at the city in shambles, it grieved his heart. But the reason his heart was grieved by that was that the nations and the enemies of God were not seeing the power and the glory of God. No, nothing mattered more to Isaiah than for God to act in a powerful way so people would see God for who He really was in all of His glory. This is, in fact, how Jesus teaches us to pray today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that our greatest need and our greatest opportunity? Isn't that what the whole world really needs? Father, may your name be set apart as holy, reverenced, and feared above all names. May the righteous rule of your King Jesus be established in all of the earth. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't sin the exact opposite of this prayer? Sin elevates man. Sin elevates his own desires above all else. Sin is an expression of man usurping the authority of King Jesus. Sin says what matters most is that I get what I want. Sin has no regard for God. I am thankful that God did rend the heavens and come down to the earth in the person of his son, Jesus the Christ.
I'm thankful that when Jesus died on the cross, the earth did shake. Rocks split open, and even the Roman centurion standing next to Jesus exclaimed, Surely this was the Son of God. I'm thankful that the earth shook again on the third day when the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled away the stone at the tomb and Jesus was raised from the grave. I'm thankful that Jesus was given the name that is above all names and that all authority in heaven and earth was given to Jesus. Our righteous King has begun to reign on this earth. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit is empowering the church to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We, the church, have the opportunity to love one another in such a way that when the world sees the way that you care for one another, God is glorified. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit is transforming us so that we can more and more reflect the character of Jesus for the praise of His name. I'm thankful that the Spirit enables us to speak the Gospel to a lost and dying world and that God is giving the world an opportunity to repent and believe and that Jesus is actually saving those that He came to save. But I'm also thankful that there is a day coming when every knee on the face of the planet will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, more and more people at this present time, more and more people are indeed confessing the name of Jesus as they believe the Gospel. Uh, a, a day, though, is coming soon when all people will confess Jesus is Lord. Some will tragically do so as they enter into a fiery, eternal judgment in hell. And some will do so as they enter into the glorious presence of Jesus for all eternity. So let me, let me ask you this morning, how do you pray when problems persist? And I would say it, it is perfectly fine to ask our Father in Heaven to help us with our problems. God does care about the smallest detail of our life. But let's pray, let, let's do more than pray our problems go away. Let's pray that God will do a powerful work in us so that whether our problems persist or not, we will respond by reflecting the character of Christ in a way that will bring glory to God. Our, our chief aim in life ought to be to live in a way to reveal the glory of God's great name no matter what He brings, no matter what He chooses to bring into our lives. There, there is a third thing this morning that Isaiah teaches us to, to pray. It's this. Prayer should always include humble confession of sin. When, when problems persist or not, what, whether problems persist or not, humble confession of sin to God should always be a constant part of our lives. Listen, as I pick up halfway through verse 5 and then read through verse 7. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. So I, Isaiah admits that to God. We, we sinned. 
In our sins, we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? So Isaiah doesn't presume upon the mercies of God. Verse 6. We have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. This is probably one of the most familiar portions of this text. Sin so taints our lives that even when we try to do what is right before God, our best efforts fall miserably short of the holiness of God. Our best attempts at righteousness are like polluted garments. The text goes on, we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Isaiah here very humbly speaks to and for the people of Judah. He, He understands that there is no future for him There's no future for God's people um, unless God chooses to pour out his redeeming grace in their life. This undeserved favor that God would give. It, It would be the steadfast love of the Lord. It would be God being passionate for his own glory. It would have nothing to do with the merit or initiative or ability of a people whose best attempts of righteousness are like a polluted garment. This portion of Isaiah's prayer is not quoted in Romans 3, but when I read it, it makes me think of so much in Romans 3. And there in that text, it was Paul that concluded in Romans 3, 19 through 20, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So let me ask you this morning. When you think about standing before God, are you firmly convinced, are are you firmly convinced that your only hope is the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to you by faith. I would argue that the righteousness of Christ can mean absolutely nothing to you until you humbly acknowledge that your very best efforts are nothing more than polluted garments before God. I think this is so important. The world constantly wants to promote the goodness of man. Sinful man wants to feel good about himself. Sinful man wants to have a good self-esteem. But in truth, the gospel leads us to esteem Christ above all else, not ourselves. A, A man trusting in the righteousness of Christ quickly confesses his sin. A man accounted righteous by Christ is not surprised by his sin. He he knows it full well that it's there and more than he's even aware of. A, A man counted righteous by faith in Christ isn't defensive when someone confronts him about his sin. He humbly admits his sin and finds comfort 
and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we are honest about our sin, it leads us to our Savior who loves to forgive the repentant sinner. The fourth thing we learn about prayer in this text is this. Prayer should always include utter dependence upon our Father. Verse 8, But now, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay and You are the potter. We are all the work of Your hand. So be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. So in, in many ways, I think, these final verses summarize the entire prayer of Isaiah. Uh, when we learn about praying when problems persist is that uh, what we learn about praying when problems persist is that our lives rest in the hands of our Father in heaven. Prayer expresses our utter dependence upon our Father. He, He created us. He brought us into His family. He made us one of His children. We look to Him for forgiveness of sin, and we know that He is good. He can be trusted, and that is what Isaiah says. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. So in this prayer, Isaiah Isaiah is acknowledging that our Father is free to to do what He deems best in our lives. And and Isaiah is okay with that. He accepts that reality. As a lump of clay, God is free to fashion our lives however He wants them to be. And we know that, and we believe that as a believer, um, it will be a showcase for His glory. And and nothing should matter more to us than that. Sometimes God chooses to showcase His glory as we trust Him through sickness. Sometimes God chooses to showcase His glory as we steward good health. Sometimes God is glorified in giving life. Sometimes God is glorified in death. Our particular individual circumstances, though, are not arbitrary. It's not an impersonal fate. It's personal. God has a plan for each of the lives that he came to save. And it's a good plan. You will remember how Jesus restored Peter after Peter denied even knowing Jesus. He did that three times. But we learn and we're told that Peter would be transformed even after he had denied even knowing Jesus. Peter would be transformed. Peter was even told that a day would come when he would be willing to die for Jesus. And in John 21, when Peter heard those words, he turned to John, who was there with him, and asked Jesus if he too, John too, would die for Christ. And the response that Jesus gave was very helpful. In John 21 22, we read this. Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I think you and I get into a lot of trouble when we compare our lives and circumstances with with others. We we can so quickly get jealous or envious or bitter or proud or discouraged. 
It's far better to know and believe that each of us are a lump of clay and God is the potter and he will fashion us and use us how he deems best for his glory. That is what's common in all of us. God created us and saved us so that we live for the praise of his glory no matter what our Father chooses to bring into our lives. Each of us have the responsibility to follow him no matter what the circumstances are in our life. But as we look at these final verses, it's also helpful that a, a life lived in utter dependence on God for His glory is not immune to angst in our soul. People who live for the glory of God no matter what can still experience persistent problems. Listen to the end of chapter uh, verses 9 and 12. I read this, Behold, Please look, we are your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire and our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restore restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will, will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? Hmm. Here in this passage, we learn that when problems persist, we pray. And now we know that this kind of prayer includes holy lament, where we're honest about our hard questions. It includes bold petitions, humble confession, and complete and total trust. Are, are you honest with God about the pain and disappointment in your life? Are, are you boldly asking God to do a work for your good and for His glory? Are, are you humbly confessing your sin to God? Are, are you trusting God completely even when problems persist? Let's pray together. Father, we confess how finite, how small, we really are in our ability to understand your grand scheme for life in this universe. And Father, we admit that there are times that no, though we know you are a great God, what we experience just is hard to make sense of. I thank you for this portion of Scripture in Isaiah that models for us bringing hard questions to you. I'm thankful that through this prayer you teach us to think big about what we ask you to do, not just get stuck on our own selfish little petitions, but to grab a hold of 
the big plans that you have for our life and for this universe. Father, help us to be a people that receive correction from you and from others. Help us not to be defensive when confronted in our sin. Help us to be quick to repent, to confess, to run to Jesus, to find comfort, to find forgiveness, and to be transformed by you so that we don't repeat old patterns of sin. Father, help us to be a people that trust you completely. We confess that our puny little minds have a hard time of understanding everything that you do at times. But we know that you are good. We know that you have chosen to love us, and the cross is proof of that. We know that your spirit dwells with us to keep us and comfort us and transform us, and we praise you and we thank you for that. So, Father, when those problems persist in our life, help us. Give us grace. Enable us by your spirit to trust you, to rest in you, to be joyful in you, even in the midst of unsolved problems. But Father, we do pray that you would do a great work in us and through us for the building up of your church and for the glory of your great matchless name, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.